Welcome to the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast, a podcast created to inform patients, families, and caregivers about important health transformation topics. Since the 2001 Crossing the Quality Chasm Report by the Institute of Medicine, our nation's healthcare system has recognized its need to improve quality of care by way of six important aims that make healthcare safe, efficient, effective, patient-centered, timely, and equitable. But we cannot hope to cross this chasm and achieve these aims until we make fundamental changes to the whole healthcare system. All levels of this work require dramatic improvements from the patient's experience. So this podcast is dedicated to you, the voices most underutilized resource in healthcare, our patients' voices. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Natasha Washington, president and founder of ATW Health Solutions and sponsor for the Patient Partner Innovation Community. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you again for joining us on Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. I am your host, Desiree Collins-Bradley, and I'm excited to share the guests that we have today with us. So welcome, Ann Jackson and Bobby Lester. Thank you. Yes, thank you for having us. You're welcome. So, you know, I first met Ann, um, and uh, where were we, Ann? We were in... uh, In D.C., we were in in Washington. Yes, we were in D.C. at a a patient advisory kind of convening. And Anne shared with me what you guys were doing around. We were talking about social determinants of health and food insecurities. And we just were having just a little conversation by the elevators. And she shared with me what you guys were doing there. And I was just blown away because I'm always looking for what are some ways that we can really connect community with resources and especially around social determinants of health. So I know, and Bobby, this is our first time meeting. So I'm going, why don't you guys and our listeners don't know you. So, and why don't you take a minute to kind of introduce yourself, tell our listeners who you are, where you are. And Bobby, as soon as Anne's finished, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself as well? Okay. Um, Well, thank you so much, Desiree, for having us and for even uh, believing this topic to be an important one that we need to talk about with a broader conversation. Um, My name is uh, Ann Jackson, as you mentioned, and um, I am um, a person who lives in the Chicagoland area. And um, for uh, I'm a physical therapist by training, and I have a, an advanced degree in um, public health. And um, and then most recently, I just completed a, a fellowship in uh, medical ethics. And um, the reason that I was at the conference where I met you was because I participate or am a member of the University of Chicago's Patient Family Advisory Council. And our council is... Um, approximately three years old, and I have the pleasure, along with Bobby, of being one of the founding patient representatives on the council. And um, my original work um, with regard to food insecurity really uh, 
but something that I've been thinking about and concerned about for all of my career, but when a cancer diagnosis um, touched my life and I witnessed firsthand that some of my fellow cancer patients were struggling to figure out how to meet their nutritional needs while they were in active care. They were receiving chemotherapy, they were receiving radiation therapy, but yet they were looking to their loved one or whoever had brought them and were asking, you know, do we have enough money for lunch today? Do we have enough money for me to have a snack today? Do we have money for me to have a cup of coffee? And that caused me a great deal of distress. And um, so when we joined, I became a part of the Patient Family Advisory Council, that gave me a platform and an opportunity to use that entity to bring this problem, this concern, this challenge to the attention of the University of Chicago's Comprehensive Cancer Center leadership. And Bobby is a big part of the administration of the Cancer Center and his heart was open, his ears were open, his mind was open, and he has really opened a portal for us to do some incredible work. Well, thanks, Anne. Uh, it's such a such a nice way to transition, and I feel uh, so honored by that. Um, so yes, and, and and thank you so much for for allowing us to speak um, today. This has uh, been something I've been looking forward to since, uh, since I was aware of this opportunity. So uh, my name's Bobby Luster. Um, by training and, and by education, I, I have an MHA, a Master's in Healthcare Administration. Um, and as Ann said, I, I work at the University of Chicago, and I'm the Ambulatory Operations Director for our Cancer Service Line. And um, you know, and, and met Anne, as she said, approximately three years ago, as we launched um, our Patient Family Advisory Council for specifically our Cancer Service Line. And one, we've accomplished so much over the past three years. But I, I think clearly one of the our largest uh, accomplishments, and definitely the one that has impacted the most lives, has been um, our our work around food insecurity. So um, that's a, a very snippet of my background, but uh, I think Anne did a very great job of of talking about our history and how how we've come to launch. That 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 is amazing, and you know it, it's. Oftentimes, and, and, and this is for our listeners and, and Bobby, uh, for you as well, you know, I, my daughter has a chronic illness, um, very complicated um, medical condition. And so we spend a lot of time in hospital systems and the cost of care is always something almost like the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. And I can honestly be totally transparent with our listeners it has. I have been put in situations where I have to choose between. Okay, we're in. The, we've been impatient for a couple of weeks for something. Am I going to pay for parking this day, or am I going to buy myself a sandwich for lunch? Or I am, you know, really strategic about how I spend my dollars and how is that affecting my family at home to feed them. So I have been in that situation. I know people have a lot of pride, um, but I can totally understand when Ann made that statement about patients are concerned about they having to make those tough choices of how am I going to feed myself? Because managing a chronic illness is very expensive that a lot of people don't like to talk about. So 
I appreciate you guys doing this work. So, so Anne and Bobby as well, why don't you guys tell our listeners exactly, you know, what did you guys do to tackle food insecurities? What does that program look like that you guys took from that advisory council and kind of catapulted out into the community? So, you know, as, as we were kind of gaining steam and, you know, really kind of laying the foundation of just talking about what different aspects that are, you know, specifically for us, our cancer patients, um, we're having to deal with. I mean, we can went through an array of topics, but I think fairly early on, um, the topic of just, as you, as you mentioned, um, you know, kind of the cost of care, that it is the elephant in the room. And um, we discussed the impacts of, you know, financial toxicity as it relates to, to care. And, and of course, in our case, related to cancer care, that those costs can be astronomical. And, you know, I think as, as Anne said, you know, previously, you know, there were scenarios where, you know, patients are with us and they have these long days sometimes receiving, a, you know, a chemotherapy treatment where they're with us four plus hours, sometimes as much as eight. And, you know, their, their, you know, ways and means of nutrition are so limited, um, whether that is just, you know, at the time we had kind of a basic snack cart where we would go around and offer individuals like very small snacks, you know, pack of nuts or um, Lorna, Dune. Lorna Dune cookies or Oreos, things that were not the best nutritional um means for our patients but very very subtle snacks and you know there's examples that of people being with us all day and that was really the only source of food that they would have or you know to your example um you know par- you know parking was is expensive and people having to find means of you know uh, cutting back on their food uh intake because of not only their health care costs but just you know people who are coming with us multiple times a week and definitely multiple times a month and just having to cover all of these costs and, you know, only exacerbated by the fact that they, um, you know, they may not be working as much or they may not be working at all. And so, um, you know, Anne had shared her personal experiences um, and in, you know, encountering people who, who had just that. And I think she was, you know, kind of humanize this as we were explaining or, you know, talking as a group and just realizing that this, this is a problem for our patients and, and how can we expect people to truly thrive or, you know, even just try to recover and and battle cancer if they don't even know where their next meal is going to come from. And I mean, I could talk about this yeah. uh, at length, but I, I want to give Anne yeah. a chance to to talk about her uh, experience and um, being on the patient side and kind of how this uh, kind of took off. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to hear your your insights and explain to us a little bit about the program. So I think that, like Bobby's saying, in in the care of anyone with a chronic health condition, but especially cancer, we know that nutrition is the cornerstone of care. And we know that without adequate nutrition, healing really tissue restoration, healing, a sense of well-being cannot be achieved. And I think that because we try to address it from a multi-pronged approach, we really have seen some impact. So like Bobby said, we 
the first thing we tackled was a snack cart and we changed items from the Lorna Dunes, the Oreos. We uh, put um, a skinny popcorn on there, trail mix, granola bars, wheat crackers, apple juice, um, sometimes uh, popsicles or other frozen items. Because the other thing that we were sharing, excuse me, with our leadership was that some people, because of their cancer treatments, couldn't swallow. Some people were really nauseated. So we didn't yeah. want foods that you had to heat up or you had to put in a microwave because the smell would be so upsetting to other people that were there for care. But we needed stuff that was ready to eat and more nutritionist. So we mm. went with nuts, pistachios, wheat thins. Um, and then as Bobby said, because people are there so long, we also asked for vouchers to be provided for meals for people in need who were identified by either nursing or social services. And if they were there over four hours, that we provided some sort of meal voucher for them. And um, one of the ideas that we had that didn't really take off, but I still love it, was um, having these to-go snack bags that um, we had gotten from in our emergency department. Sometimes if people are there really late or at different odd times, they'll have meals that are come down from the kitchen and they're just like maybe a sandwich, a, a fruit cup um, in a bag. And so I said, you know, why can't we give those to cancer patients who are here so they even have something to take home with them? We haven't really gotten that one off, but I'm gonna still, I'm gonna keep asking Bobby about it. <laughs> but as he said, the one that is really the cornerstone, the flagship of our work is this food pantry. And yeah. we were fortunate because the University of Chicago already had on its premise, uh, premises within the children's hospital, a mechanism where there were there was an open access food pantry system situated on all floors and it was operated by a, um, a organization that is on campus called Feed First, which is a part of something called the Lindau Lab, which is run by a physician humanitarian from the University of Chicago, Dr. Stacy Lindau. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had the pleasure within my ethics curriculum to hear a lecture from Dr. Lindau soon after we started our um, patient advisory council, because I we were doing like we had changed the snack cart, we were getting people vouchers, but I just felt like there was still more, but I just did not, I didn't know what that thing was. Yeah. Well, in early July of 2017, Dr. Lindau did a lecture for our, um, for our class, and she was talking about her work with food insecurity and how it started. And as she started telling her story, I, her story, her language resonated with me and I knew that was what was missing. That was a critical piece of what was missing. So before she even got out the door, I tackled her and, <laughs> in the kindest way and said, you know, we need, I need a food pantry in the cancer center. And I had met her as a physician because her specialty area is the um, care of women uh, who have cancer, have a cancer diagnosis. Um, she is um, a, gyneco a gynecologist by training who specializes uh -huh. in um, 
sexual dysfunctions for women. And so um, during the course of my care, I, I learned about her. I knew who she was. She knew who I was. So it wasn't a it wasn't a total surprise tackle, but it was still a tackle. And um, that was in July of 2017. After mm-hmm. I talked to her, I immediately reached out to Bobby and our um, vice president of the service line, Eileen Ellen Feinstein, and said, you know, this is what we need. And by November 2nd of 2017, the pantry opened. Wow, that was really quick. And that's what resonated with me when we talked about it, because a lot of times, and this is just personal experience and hearing from my peers, you know, sometimes advisory councils can be kind of stagnant. And so we come up with these great ideas and people, we bring it to the table and it'll sit and it'll sit and it'll sit and it'll sit. Then sometimes it'll fizzle out and then we'll go in a different direction. But I love the fact that you guys moved in action so quickly to get this done. And so, you know, I I was like, we need this to spread around the country because this is absolutely amazing. So, you know, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but tell me how does the food pantry work? Um, So, you know, there was was definitely some work to get it launched. And, you know, if, if needed, I can talk about some of the specifics there, but, you know, as as Anne was saying, there was already a bit of a foundation. So we were very fortunate that there was already pantries within our um, children's hospital, children's um, uh, Comer Children's Hospital um, at University of Chicago. And so there was already an infrastructure built in terms of having a relationship with the um, Greater Food Depository of Chicago and having regular deliveries of that food coming in which is is the main staple of the supplies of course we also have food drives and take in donations as well but that's kind of our constant and so there you know essentially what the whole premise is is that with you embed within your space um, a, a simple shelving unit that you keep regularly stocked with food and it's it's really a, a non judgmental like there's no um, requirements no checks you know you don't have to be referred to it and and I think so it's open to any and all and and that's been kind of the the key philosophy is you know we we expect that people will take as much as they need and that those that are in need will will um, will also utilize and so that's um really has been the foundation of that and so once it's been up we make sure that we have a system for maintaining that we have supplies on it each and every day and restocking as appropriate Mm -hmm. and um you know we try to be diligent and and thoughtful about where we placed it you know there there definitely can be a stigma um around food insecurity and people taking um you know you know utilizing the resources and so for us it's uh we we found what we thought was an ideal location that had foot traffic where people would go through and that they would know that the pantry is there and exist but it's mm-hmm. not such a high traffic area where people can feel secure that where they've got a time alone and that they can you know take the resources they need without being you know highly visible from staff from patients and so um it's uh, it's been totally open and i think it you know we've 
got numbers, but over the three years, almost three years that that has been live in three years in November, I mean, it's touched thousands of households and even more um, individuals that have um, that have utilized it just off of our pantry alone within the cancer center. Wow. But I have to I have to say, though, that now this is where I really have to give Bobby and his Bobby, especially some just just some high praise. Um, you know, originally, because it was just an idea, it was a hope. It was just I think this is a problem. I've seen this. Can we take some action? There was no line item in Bobby's budget for this. Whoa. And so when we started this, Bobby had to borrow from Peter, ask Jane, move money over to mm -hmm. even create a line item. And with the Greater Chicago Food Depository, in theory, as with any other entity that comes from like Feeding America, any of the pantry systems, typically the return on your dollar is $1 in $3 worth of food. And mm -hmm. so Bobby figured out how to give us a line item because when you utilize a service like Feed First, there's not necessarily a franchising, but there is a, a relationship fee because they order the food, they mm -hmm. bring it, you know, they they handle a lot of the logistics. Yeah. And um, so there's a they in order to allow their operational budget to continue, there's a, a fee associated with that. So all of that had to be factored in. And Bobby figured it out and Bobby figured it out without having to um, ask for a lot of extra or no extra. And, you know, mm -hmm. for that, I was so grateful. We were all so grateful. And then, as he said, um, once we got going, people throughout the hospital would do uh, food drives. Um, I make a monthly commitment because I feel like this project is really like mm -hmm. like my baby so every month um a group of friends and i many of them are cancer survivors also we mm -hmm. make a financial commitment and we buy foods that we do not typically get from the greater chicago food depository because mm -hmm. as bobby said we really believe in the premise of open access dignified food no stigma so we bring um more on label brands things that are uh, again, very helpful to cancer patients. So we might be talking about broths. We might be talking about um, ginger ale and larger, you know, larger uh, yeah. bottles, uh, soups, things that people need. Uh, people, you know, that cancer patients in particular uh -huh. might really need to eat. So we've really um, made it our mission to um, help people. And, and like Bobby said about the numbers, I just pulled up for you. So when mm -hmm. we started in November, we served, that first November, we served 40 households that represented approximately 151 individuals. Mm -hmm. But as Bobby said, it's an under-report because yeah. there is no formal reporting mechanism. Yeah. And to date, we have served almost 2,700 households representing almost 7,800 people. Wow. And that's just with our little four shells. And out of the entire pantry system at the hospital, our pantry consumes upward, upwards of 60% of the total food brought in by the University of Chicago from the Greater Chicago Food Depository. So the need is great. Wow. 
Absolutely. And you know, you guys touched on a couple things, but one of the, the other highlight points that I think that the listeners could really think about is that leadership buy-in. And so the fact that you brought this and Bobby, it sounds like you are, you know, you're just as passionate about this as then because you took the time to say, okay, where can I strategically move these dollars? What can I do? And it wasn't just like, oh, we don't have the money, go away. Because, and, I, and I'll be perfectly honest, it has been things that I wanted to do in my advisory council, something that was discussed actually today um, on a call that the money isn't there and it's just shelled. And I'm just like, well, can we think about ways that we can do this and what have you? And it's like, oh, no, the money's not there. But the fact that you went around and said, okay, where can I find this money? Because a lot of times we can move things around if we take the time to make the effort. So I really appreciate, you know, you guys doing that because the numbers, the people that you're touching, I mean, and the fact that and the other point that I like to highlight is the dignified, the dignity of this. I have myself gone to a food pantry before in the community, fill out the forms, in the line, um, very, 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 very dehumanizing experience, I can say. It left a lasting impression on me. So the fact that you have it open to everyone, that stigma is gone because everybody can be touched by food insecurity. Anyone. It doesn't, when people think about that, it may not necessarily be, I don't have the money. I may be too sick to go to the grocery store to get it. So, you know, the fact that it's open to everyone, everyone's on the same playing field, you know, that is, you know, the, the greatest gift you can give someone is the gift of dignity. And that right there is like, oh, my goodness. And four shelves and you're feeding that many people. That is amazing, amazing, amazing. So I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. Was there any pushback when you guys started this? Did you get any pushback or was it just like, we're doing it regardless to what? Um, you know, I, I think from my end, um, the, there is a little bit of, you want to, you know, I think for the University of Chicago, I think is a great organization and, and really does value its community, um, but also knows that, you know, that w there are limits to, to what our um our financial resources could support so you know I, we had a a highly motivated and engaged um patient and family advisory council that really got this going and i think that that speaks volume to their energy um mm -hmm. and you know within it we would you know rotate different organizational leaders and you know this topic can you know continue to come up so yeah. you know whenever you have our our hospital leadership and it's such a passionate topic mm -hmm. there was definitely buy-in um to get this going for cancer um and, and we and as as we've talked about and touched about on the conversation there's a, several also pantries within our Comer's Children's Hospital you know I think that there's desires to even expand this beyond and and really see where we can impact and so to your point and to your question is we you know I, th I think we we haven't rolled it out like 
um, you know, like, oh, this area needs one or this area needs one. Let's yeah. just continue to replicate it. I, I think we want to be very thoughtful. And so yeah. um, we, we have been very pointed and then we've been very successful. And, you know, and now it's, it's time to have maybe those conversations of, you know, who are some other very vulnerable populations um, we know our cancer was one, uh, our cancer uh, patient population is one, but is there another area where we can really have a big um, impact? Um, because we do know that resources are not unlimited, but this yeah. one was just uh, too great and too big and, and could not be ignored. I, I, I love that. And, you know, it's, it's that, that mantra of, you know, you can start somewhere. Right. You know, we can start with one unit, one service, one disease process and just start it and see how it can grow. And I think, you know, I, I and I'm just I'm a visionary. I think five years down the road, you guys are going to have it in multiple different different places. And we'll be coming back and having another conversation <laughs> spread of success. But. You know, um, and, and this has been a wonderful conversation, and I hope our listeners have been inspired to really take a look at doing something like this in their own communities. But I want to ask the both of you to respond. For those listeners, they're listening in and they're like, wow, this is really great. What advice or insight would you get if you could give them one kind of stitch of advice to get started? What would that be? Well, I think that, as you said, I think that Bobby and I had a conversation yesterday. So I have a, a wall, like a, a I have a, a, a vision wall that I'm looking at right now. And on it, my quote about this work says, I want people to fight for your life, not for your food. Mm. Support you from the treatment table to the kitchen table. And wow. that is the mission of the, the work that that. I'm committed to doing and I'm so grateful that Bobby does with me. And I feel like for everyone listening, you can be a change agent and mm -hmm. you can set up a show. You can have and if you don't if you don't believe us, if you don't believe that your institution doesn't have food insecurity, food insecurity is different than hunger. Mm -hmm. and I know that when we first um, when you asked Bobby the question about push I got was people saying, you know, what, what are you talking about? You want a cafe? We don't have hungry people at the University of Chicago. And, and you know, yes, we do. And so yeah. when the pantry went up. There was a lot of surprise around the numbers that you. Mm -hmm. So I just challenge anybody to, to give it a try. And Feed First has created a toolkit that is free and available online that you can upload. And it gives wonderful guidance to how you can do it. You could reach out to us because we want to do this. We want to see this like school lunch programs. We want to see every cancer America yeah. in the world having a pantry, having an open access complimentary food station. I don't even want to call them pantries anymore. Yeah. Oh, I love that complimentary food station. I'm writing that down. That's that 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 is gold right there. I love that terminology. So, Bobby, could you you could give, and I guess this can be from the operational institution side. If you could give the listeners some insight advice of how to get started, what would that be? 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's a tough one there to follow in. I mean, that's uh, she has just the motivation and the energy. I, you know, I think from uh, from an operation standpoint, you know, there there's things that are just bigger than than you than the than the organization, and it's really taken a moment to to recognize that. And of course, there's a financial there's there's a financial aspect to it, but at the end of the day, you know, these things can be done and you can, people can plan, organizations can plan and you can start with something that would, that will fit your operating budget. And I think the, the impact and the goodwill that it causes and creates is, is worth its return on investment And, you know, I think one of the most important things that we can do um, as, you know, healthcare organizations is just have humanity for for everyone. And this just fits right in alignment with that. And it's, you know, people will be ever grateful and they see the value that you bring and how much you care about your patients. Oh, I love that. I love that. And well, this has been, a, I mean, we could go on all night talking about this, but this has been a wonderful conversation. I'll say, I, you know, thank you both for the work that you're doing. I truly appreciate that coming from um, straight from the heart to you guys and to our listeners, you know, you know, like they said, you know, just try it started. If you have questions, please feel free to reach out to us at Patient Partner Innovation Community. And I will definitely connect you to Ann and Bobby and, and you know, to help you along the way. So, you know, thanks again, guys. I really Thank appreciate you. you. Uh, and, you know, I can't wait to revisit this conversation with you again as we as you further your success. Thanks Thank so you. much Thank for having you. us. Yes. You're, you're welcome. You're, well, as always, guys, we can't get away without thinking our wonderful sponsor and partner in this work. Dr. Dr. Natasha Washington at ATW Health Solutions. And as always, guys, be engaged. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com.